0: Live from the empire of lies a bastion of truth free speech and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the biden administration in the new world order i'm lee stranahan and this is the backstory so obviously i'm gonna gloat because i predicted months ago i told you months ago i said there's no way the FBI and the CIA just randomly decided on their own to start censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story. I said, I'm not picturing executives sitting around simultaneously getting the same
1: idea. Rod, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Lee. Can't complain. How about yourself? Well, you're doing good. You're doing good today. Because well, yeah, I'm gloating. But
0: am I correct? Verify so people, if they're just turning in one thing, I'm making this up.
1: I said this, right? Oh, yeah, of course. You've been saying this since, I would say, as soon as that uh, uh, laptop came out and also when you talked about sending a private message on Facebook and it being uh, denied. And now we have have, uh, Mark Zuckerberg coming out and pretty much confirming all that.
0: Yes. And doing it in a Weasley way, I don't think Zuckerberg, and obviously this broke last night after the show, zuckerberg on joe rogan and it is all over twitter i've not seen anything explode on twitter like this a clip have you
1: brought it was suddenly everywhere uh, not since the most recent hunter Biden. you know when they put it to uh, biggie smalls uh 10 Cr- crack commandments uh, i saw one uh nine, mil- nine million views on, on one post so yeah no it's, it's, it's a lot
0: and i'll tell you Obviously it's a big story, but I saw a comment that I saw a lot of people make on Twitter, is they're like, why is this not the biggest story in the country? And let me answer them. Are you paying attention? Do you understand what this media in this country does? And if they admitted to that, that would be clown them. CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, can't cover this properly. Would you agree with me, Rod? It's impossible
1: for them. I would love to see Jake Tapper try to present this on TV tonight. But you're not holding your breath, are you? <laughs> no,
0: I'd be dead. Now, we have a great show today to talk about this first hour, The Great Manila Chan, the co-host of Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. And Manila knows everything about everything. She's a, a generalist because she's been covering the news so often. I want to talk to her about that story and a lot of the other stuff going on, including more coverage of Daria Dugan. I want to hear what she learned from guests about Daria Dugan. Probably the same thing I did. This was a woman who was loved. Have you picked that up, Rod? Have you picked up that everybody who met Daria Dugan and knew her, I feel bad, you know, in a sense that I'll never meet her, because everybody who met her seems to have been very impressed by her and talked about how intelligent and warm she was. Have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, no, for sure, Lee. And you know, I've seen, I've seen her on uh, John Mark Dugan's uh, channel and. You know like like you say, it would have been great to speak with her and to hear her speak because uh, she's like you said she was lovely and you could um, to hear and to listen to it. she's also very smart and intelligent. and she was also very open. She was open to talk to people from different viewpoints as you could tell. And she also gave away her lunch. You know, we
0: learned that that when she was on the bus, she gave her meat because she wasn't eating because it, it was lent or something. She gave it to other people on the bus so they could eat it, which is just plain nice, right? Yeah, for sure, yeah, That's very, that's very nice of her. That's a decent, a, just a decent thing to do, and that goes a long way with me. So we'll be talking a minute all about that. Then in the second hour, the great Carl Aaron, and among the things, we'll talk about this Zuckerberg situation with Carl Aaron, and also we'll talk about why people's ideas matter we've been talking about dugan and his philosophy because he's an intellectual alexander dugan dugan his father but we'll talk to carter about philosophy as we often do and they'll be very illuminating and we're taking your calls 202 1320 this is the backstory so I think I'm going to start by getting one of the clips out of the way. A couple of days ago, Joe Biden announced his some student loan debt relief. And Rod, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make the point again and again. This is not for everybody. There's a qualifying. So this is only for some people. Now, I'm sure it's a fair amount of people, but. It's not for everybody. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, it's only for people making less than one hundred twenty-five thousand. I believe. I believe that's what I read. I know it's somewhere around there, either one hundred or one hundred twenty-five thousand a year.
0: And some of the big, the big, uh, loan forgiveness is for people who got Pell grants. Now, at the risk of sounding in- ignorant and possibly being ignorant, Rod, what the hell is a Pell grant? Do you know anyone who's got a Pell Grant? What is it?
1: Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people got a Pell Grant. Um, it's pretty much just a grant that you apply for uh, and, and, and student aid. Um, and, you know, uh, I guess it's backed by the federal government. Uh, I know a lot of people that have gotten it. Um, so I guess it's not really hard to qualify for. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's as much as I know.
0: So it's an easy to qual- to qualify for grant. Which means probably a lot of people got it and didn't think about paying it back. They didn't think, gee, I'm going to have to pay this back. It's like a low interest rate. Uh, It's like a high interest rate credit card that's easy to get. You know one of those credit cards for poor people that I don't even have? But and when you get the credit, you don't think about the consequences. So that makes sense to me. So. Why, let me ask you a question. One attribute of this administration is they have proven inept. They're not good at doing things. In Afghanistan, they screwed up retreating, pulling out of Afghanistan. They screwed that up. And why would we think, therefore, that they'd be any better at communication? Does that make sense, Rod?
1: No, that makes a lot of sense, Lee. Um- You know, Biden can't, obviously, I mean, it it has to be the most obvious even to the most uh, cult-like member of the Democratic Party. You have to see this man can't coherently get his message across. You know, he just can't. Um, And nobody— He's got got a press secretary who's not helping him. Right, exactly.
0: So let's run the clip first. This is our press secretary, Terry answering a question about it and listen to the question it is a good question and just just shows the ineptitude of this administration in spreading their message hit it
2: couple times that this is a fiscally responsible way of doing this. But can you explain a little bit about how you guys think it is fiscally responsible? Because you can't say how much it's going to cost. You can't say exactly how it's going to be paid for. And you can't say exactly who is paying for the cost. I get how you're arguing that it helps Certain yeah. populations, but yeah. how is it fiscally responsible?
3: I mean, the way that the way that we are talking about it and what we're trying to say is, we the the actions that we have taken, and you see this uh, with uh, the way that the deficit has been reduced. Uh, we have taken uh, just uh, the last 19 months. And I see that look that you're giving me well, there. I get I, I well, that but, that but, you've taken
2: previous fiscally responsible right, actions that wait, you well, give you more wiggle well, room to be.
4: Right, but it gives respond. us, no, 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 we we, I mean, we see this, we do not see this as irresponsible.
0: We got it, you don't see it as irresponsible, but anyone listening to a question or thinking about it, this is a $300 million, I, I, is it million or billion actually, Rod?
1: I, I think it's, mm. actually, I'm not sure, I'm not sure on that one, I think it, I'm not sure, I'm not sure.
0: And I, I think it's million, because $300 billion would be an incredible amount. But uh, that's our next Ukraine payment, probably. But this, she can't answer the problems, and it's problems for Biden, because I don't think this is going to help him get reelected or help him. Would would this press conference make anyone confident in the Democrats, Rod?
1: No, no. Uh, But, uh, you know, you still have some people who— you know, they—they they, ever since 2016, it's kind of anything but Trump. So it, Biden's the option, the only other option. They're just going to say, you know, whatever he does is great. And there's so there's some of those people, but anybody else, no.
0: And they're—they're uh, they're trying to prove anybody but Trump. They're setting a low standard. Now I'll get to the calls: 202-521-1320. The killer of owls, owl killer. You're on.
2: So I'm, I'm
0: assuming uh, you and Rod
2: both um, saw the rounds of the uh, Mark Zuckerberg interview with uh, Joe Rogan regarding the FBI uh, going to Facebook, saying that, oh, there's going to be a dump of something. It's, we remember there was Russian interference in 2016. Um, you guys are familiar with that already, correct?
0: Yeah, we'll be playing that. In fact, let's, Al Killer, since you brought it up, let's play the clip. Let's play this is... Mark Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan, the clip everybody's talking about today. Owl Killer, do me a favor. Will you give the hit? Just say hit it and watch what happens.
5: Hit it. How do you guys handle things when they're a a big news item that's controversial? Like there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah, we have this too.
6: Yeah, so you guys censored that as well. So we took a different path than Twitter. Um I mean basically the background here is the FBI I think basically came to us uh, some some folks on our team and was like, "Hey, um just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um uh, that's similar to that, so just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said, you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also use this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being... Um, being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it, you could still consume it. So you um, say the distribution is decreased. In, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less, so fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically. A um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, You know, obviously this is a hyper political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if if the FBI, which I still view is a legitimate institution in this country. It's a like very professional law enforcement. They come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something. Then I want to take that seriously.
5: Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story?
6: I, I, no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was. It basically fit the pattern.
0: Really, Mark? You don't remember? You think the FBI said, "Well, we don't know what it is"? So I've got a lot of things to say about that. But Al Killer, what's your take?
2: So don't forget. Um, he also ran the, uh, where, the what everybody refers to as the uh, Zuckerbucks, um, where all the money that he threw in—I think it was half a billion dollars—himself uh, um, thrown into the uh, the election that we know of. Look, this country, this—that this is the definition of fascism. That is the merger of state
0: and corporate powers, and not only that, but I—I'd say, Al Keller, you should point out. That's a newfangled techno cyber fascism. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, it's beyond anything Hitler could have dreamed up. It's beyond anything Stalin could have dreamed up. This is for the first time in human history. They they have stuff that I mean, I there for the first. I mean, let's go to a for the first time in human history. You have people that have. This is basically a like godlike technology where. And we, we don't we don't have a say since at least 2016. The FBI and the the intelligence agencies, CIA as well, have have been trying to change the way that the voters vote, like op- openly interfering in our elections with the fake Russia hoax, and now with uh, the 2020. Uh, the, they're they're admitting it now. Now this, this is beyond anything that one uh, of the Republicans. Oh, We're going to have some hearings. Hey, why did you go? Oh, we need to reform. No,
0: this can't happen. Al, let me make the case that the problem wasn't the tech censorship because it didn't work. The Internet routes around censorship. And it happened in this case. Also, Zuckerberg's a liar. He said it only changes ranking. I personally was talking to a friend of mine and I tried to share stuff about the Hunter bind laptop in a private message, privately talking to her on Facebook Messenger. I sent it to her. She did not get it. That means they were suppressing it. But I sent it to her once I realized no one didn't hear about this because of the censorship. Everybody who wanted to hear about it heard about it. But the censorship had a propaganda effect for people who are sheep for the deep state. Because what it did was a lot of people, owl killer, not you and I, obviously, but a lot of people, suckers, sheep, what they're saying to themselves is, well, if the FBI contacted Zuckerberg and suppressed this information, they must have had a good reason. You see what I'm saying? A lot of people are saying, well, they must be doing it for a good reason, like it's false, like it is Russian disinfo. And they never, they didn't even think, I wonder if this is real. They immediately thought, the FBI is protecting me. Does that make sense, Keller? Oh, d- d- definitely. And it, it's the same thing with the, it's, it's the line of, it's the
2: same thing like with the debates. Like, for example, with Chris Wallace, in 2016 and 2020, he asked Trump to denounce white supremacy. He had the answer from 2016. He knew he denounced it. So by bringing it up, it's the people that are on the fence. That's who they're targeting, or, the, or like you said, the sheep-like people. That okay, if he's asking a question, tailored to this, there must be some substance behind it. That's what they. That's what they do. They. They. It's. You know, I. I'm not a Rush Limbaugh fan, but the drive-by media is. He was 100 percent on with that. Because they hit a couple of people here, they drive back around the next day. They hit another couple of people, and at the end, so many people are that it that that is disinformation. What they participated—that is real disinformation. Because people don't know what to believe, in without, you know, pe- people are lazy and they want to go to a single source, and that is really who is getting the disinformation. And let's not forget.
0: I'll agree. I'll, I'll agree, but I'll disagree with lazy and. Oh, allow me to make this case, then it's back to you, Al. when I worked for a company called Newtech, doing high tech stuff, I worked a little bit in tech support, and some tech support people, it's a computer company. they called their users lazy, and they said the answer to most problems is read the manual. Actually, they said, read the f manual and the person who was charged with tech support this is back when Brad Parscale was working there, yeah. and he was not one of those guys. But they said, they had a meeting, and I said, stop calling your customers lazy. Stop it. It's insulting. When you call someone lazy, it's not a compliment, right? What our customers are is busy. They want to solve a problem. They don't want to read a manual. And if we require going into the manual, we've probably designed a product in a way so what I'm saying is people are busy. I do not expect someone. I'll put it like this. If, they, if people see a story as being suppressed, how do they know how even to run it down to see if it's true? If somebody's saying at home, they got kids in school, they got a job, the, the dishes are piling up in the sink, they got stuff to do, right? right. And so, and how could they check out? If the Hunter Biden laptop is real from a heuristic point of view, a lot of people I'm sure went. And a lot of people who, let's say, aren't exactly anti-Trump, but don't care for him, does that make sense? They just don't like him kind of when he talks, he bothers them. They hear him saying. On the debate or wherever. Hunter Biden's laptop. It's exposing ch- stuff, China, and so on. When they hear that, if they've not studied the issue, how does that come across to them? It come across as there goes Trump saying something, and everyone in the press and a lot of their friends at work are saying Trump's a liar, and the FBI is saying, and, and we have a First Amendment, so they go, well, they probably wouldn't be able to do that against the the New York Post, if there was no reason. So there must be a good reason. So I just want to push back against that, because I I really think in politics, when you're trying to change people's minds, it's a bad idea. And you weren't doing this all color. I, I hope I'm not coming down too hard on you. But I want you to think about this. I want everyone to think about it. People aren't lazy. They're busy. And our government is lying at the highest levels. And that makes it very hard. So back to you.
2: No, I would. I, de- I definitely. That is definitely more along the lines where I am. Exactly. People are too busy, and I, I think that's part of the design to have us so wrapped up in just getting by day to day. That we don't have time to actually, you know, seek any new, inf- seek any new information out, learn any new skills. But going back to like the, my my main reason for calling in, we have admissions now. Zuckerberg is one of the richest people on the planet. Every once in a while, he'll get up there with Bezos and he'll be back down. Just one of those games. One of the richest people on the planet is saying that intelligence agencies in this country are putting their thumb on the scale. Who are they doing it for? What is going on? Who are they? Were they do they really want us to believe that they were trying to help the American people? They have no business. That's not what they do. They're a federal law enforcement agency. They have no business involved in elections. What have we gotten to in this country?
0: Well, and remember what the Hunter Biden laptop story is about. The Hunter Biden laptop story is not about a laptop or about dirty pictures on a laptop or about someone smoking crack on a laptop. What the Hunter Biden laptop story is about is it is exposes a crime, evidence of corruption, from Joe Biden getting a kickback from his son after a business meeting with a foreign power. And the foreign power part is lower in my list. It would have been better if it were, if Joe Biden got a kickback from Amazon or whoever, you know, Sears Roebuck pick. And the fact that China makes it in some senses weirder, but there was evidence of Joe Biden's criminality and corruption. And what's more corrupt than the big guy getting 10% of a person if money comes in and his son's getting a bunch of it, but he has to give part to his father, who's president or vice president at the time? The FBI hid evidence of a crime. I want to be clear. The FBI hid evidence of a crime. Now, do you—am I being too harsh, or do you agree, Alcone? They had the laptop at least a year beforehand, so they knew it wasn't Russian disinformation. They knew it was true. They knew it wasn't even anything false, right?
2: They, they did, and, and they had—look
0: look at the slander that uh,
2: Tony Bobolinsky went through in, in the media. When he had the receipts, he had the text messages, he had the phone, he had the uh, voicemail. And he he was a he was a participant in you know he what he was doing wasn't illegal but even he saw okay what's going on and uh, I think Joe Biden's brother said oh plausible deniability remember that was
0: one of the quotes yes and and this has clear evidence of a crime and you're right and and the FBI hit it owl killer I got to move on but great call as usual thanks for calling owl killer now let's go to Prince. George's County and David, you're on. Uh, Actually, it's Bobby. Uh, Thank you, Lee, for taking my call. Uh, Who's this,
7: Bob? Bobby. Okay, Bobby, sorry about that. Okay. Uh, Anyway, I've heard so much about NATO expanding with Finland and Sweden, but no one's ever brought out the fact. I've never heard Sweden has been neutral for. Over 200 years since the Napoleonic Wars. Look at all the wars that happened in Europe during that time. And what has happened with Sweden? They've been neutral. Now all this frantic, frenetic activity to join NATO, it makes no sense unless perhaps you're George Soros. The same with Finland. Finland was neutral for, what, 77 years after World War uh, II. Believe it, seventy-seven years. Now, all of a sudden, they gotta join NATO. Uh, there was a top colonel who should have been a general from the Vietnam War, David Hackworth. He had more medals, but just about as many medals in combat as Audie Murphy, and he said it was insane that we're giving. This is after the fall of the Soviet Union. It's insane that we're giving Latvia. Three jet fighters, and here's a person who fought communism personally, shot up many times in Korea and in Nor- and in the Vietnam Vietnam War on the front lines, a fighter, not like that guy Millie who doesn't even have a combat decoration. The four star general, no combat decorations. This guy had them all, and he says it's insane. Soviet Union can now be our friend. The Russia, pardon me can now be our friend and it's to me uh i'm about as hardcore anti-communist as you can be i was when it was very unpopular and i see no reason why russia can't be our great ally more especially against red china that was about all lee thank you
0: well great call bobby and i agree and this underlines the this zuckerberg underlines the u.s government lies about russia for no good reason they lie about russia to support criminality by americans and so let's take a short break and when we come back we'll have Minel chan the co-host of fault lines right here on radio sputnik and we'll be back in a minute on the backstory backstory and live on 105.5 fm am 1390 we are joined now by the co-host of fault lines with thomas and chan the great manila chan hey manila how you doing
3: hey there lee nice to be back on with you so let me
0: ask you have you heard about this thing with rogan and zuckerberg that's a joke Manel. of course you have <laughs> so we'll talk about it in a second but, and Command Central, could we get that clip ready to play again? Is that possible? Okay, so I'm going to call for it in a second. But what I want to talk to you about first, the big story this week for us, and I think a huge story and a human tragedy, is the assassination of Daria Dugin, Dugina, the daughter of Russian intellectual Alexander Dugin and author of The Fourth Political Theory. Now, We've been covering it a lot this week because we've been privileged enough to talk to some people who knew Jaria directly, and it's a horrible crime. She was blown up. Her car was bombed near Moscow. Now, obviously, you've been covering this as well, right?
3: Oh, yeah. We've definitely been covering it um, in the mornings at fault lines. Um We spoke with Mark Sloboda, who actually was a colleague with her father, with Alexander Dugan, um, and much to, I I wouldn't, I shouldn't say chagrin, but to dispel what mainstream American media has continually said is that, you know, they call, they call the dad, Mr. Dugan, uh, Vladimir Putin's brain or his Rasputin, Uh thats absolutely false, according to Mark Uh, That Mr. Dugan doesn't know Vladimir Putin. That Alexander Dugan, you know, doesn't have this close relationship like the mainstream American media wants to portray. And in fact, you know, he said that that Alexander Dugan isn't even a household name. It's not like he—he's like the reverse Steve Bannon if you will, for Russia. Uh, He's very much on the fringe. He has some pretty extreme views uh, in terms of nationalism. Um, And his daughter as well, I mean, she's a very respected scholar and uh, so is the dad, but they're not these household names like the mainstream media wants to make him out to be uh, and to align him with Vladimir Putin. Uh, Part of that is obviously to malign him um, and... For there to be less sympathy in her death, um, but the fact is, these this family has has no direct ties that anybody can point to to the Kremlin to Vladimir Putin. There's no I've not seen any photos of the two together or the three I should say, uh, father and daughter. There's there's no connection anybody can prove to and point and say that this man and this daughter are as high profile as the mainstream media paints them to be. Now that's not to that's not to say that it's not a tragedy that uh that Miss Dugina was was murdered in such a fashion. Um but it is pretty clear that this has come from uh the Ukrainian uh SBU which is basically their CIA. Um and this is meant to be a, a provocation for Russia. Um Obviously, we've seen that Russia is slowly but steadily uh, making advances across Ukraine. And this is kind of a distraction from that. And unfortunately, this innocent young woman that had nothing to do with any of this uh, was murdered along the way. And it definitely uh, ruffled a lot of feathers and was, in my opinion, um, was done to kind of gin up new interest in Ukraine because uh you can see the polls are falling here in the US and in the in the European Union for support of this war people are starting to drift away from that and as you know we approach fall right the the end of summer is just about here the unofficial end of summer would be uh labor day and we're almost there people are starting to shift attention to to this winter and this fall and people are no longer that interested in supporting what's happening in Ukraine, uh, so I think, for me, in my opinion, a lot of this was done, uh, sadly, for PR purposes.
0: Well, and I'll disagree slightly with comparing him to Bannon because the thing about Bannon is he worked in the Trump administration, and Dugan never worked in the government. Do you understand right. what I'm saying? No, no,
3: that's what I was saying. So that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That he was—he's the reverse Bannon. That he's not. You know. He was not attached to Vladimir Putin in in any way.
0: I relate him to Jordan Peterson, the Canadian academic. He's he's got ideas, and some of those ideas correspond with ideas that Vladimir Putin has. For instance, Dugan is against communism and fascism, and Putin said stuff like that. But that's not how the media makes it out. And this is obvious. The government— through the media, lies about Russia, about everything about Russia and Putin. And that's what the last four years—forgive me, six years—I mm-hmm. I, I forgot we've had a new president for two years—but <laughs> the six years were all about lying about Russia and all about lying about Putin, specifically. Now, I also, from talking to people, did you just get the impression— On a human level, this was a lovely, intelligent, and well-loved young woman. The people who knew her, I've talked to, seem to have really cared for her.
3: Yeah, it seems that all my contacts um, in and around Moscow seem to say, you know, while she's not as famous as her her father, and even that, that that level of fame is not the same as we mentioned Steve Bannon. He's not a household name like Steve Bannon uh, is here stateside. Uh, but Daria Dugina is a very apparently a very well liked young woman. Um, people it didn't seem like people had much many bad things to say about her. That she was you know a nice Orthodox Christian woman, um, very much into studying, uh, and and you know definitely not some troublemaker. She was a philosopher, similar to her father, uh, and very interested in her field of practice. And it's very sad that that they would choose somebody um, perfectly, completely innocent to strike. And again, I really feel like it's to gin up interest and support um, t- to bring American or Western eyes back to the fight in Ukraine um, and very much a distraction. Because as we know, uh, the Russian military has been, you know, uh, with been acting with Surgical precision, right, in their slow but methodical win, uh, battle by battle. And this is yet another way for Westerners to go, oh, that's still happening. And unfortunately, this is a direct attack. And and to me, Lee, I don't know if you know this, but the Ukrainians, um, as soon as the conflict began, they immediately closed off borders. Because prior to this, Russians and Ukrainians were able to go back and forth, um, similarly t- to how Americans and Canadians go back and forth. We don't need a visa. We can. It's almost an open border. You show them your passport. You can go in. You don't have to apply for a visa. As soon as the conflict began, the Ukrainians actually shut down the borders. However, that's for their entry. However, the Russians have not done so. So the the SBU spy or assassin in this case that came across the border from Ukraine it was because the russians have not shut down their borders it would take a, a lot of steps through the state duma and all of that happening at the kremlin a lot of action to shut down these borders so unfortunately russia has not taken the same steps that ukraine has taken so this this woman that came in this assassin with her daughter was able to come and go freely and flee uh, reportedly to estonia so this, to me, indicates that there, there's a security flaw there at their border. And that if one, one assassin could come in, there could be room for plenty of other terror attacks as this war continues. And so if I was somebody, but- if I was a lawmaker in at the Kremlin, that is something I would be bringing up about closing my border. Well,
0: let me say, I'll disagree that I think it it was not a security problem in that I think the fact that they let people in, but there is some security at the border. It's not like our southern border where people just dash across. I think it (laughs) allowed them to track her and find the the perpetrator quicker. Does that make sense? Right, no, no. So
3: it's more comparable to to our, our border in Canada. Is what I'm saying. So they were able to come. She was able. The the assassin was able to come back and forth in and out um, very easily. The way somebody in Buffalo, New York would cross over into Toronto.
0: And I think that's part of the problem with the freedom is you'll get some bad people coming in. But I want to talk about the Zuckerberg thing. And I want to play a clip again because there's one particular part that I want to point out. He was lied to by the FBI. He, by the way, he's lying to Rogan. He is being (laughs) weaselly and lying, because when he says they only suppress the ranking of how the story was, they directly suppress the story in private communications with people. And that's so that's the truth. But listen to this clip. Zuckerberg says, well, the FBI approached him. And said. Russia was involved in propaganda in 2016 election. A lie. That is a, that is a lie. And by starting with that premise, by starting basically by saying, well, Zuckerberg, Mark, I'm the FBI. We all know Russia's bad and are liars and spread propaganda. They started with that lie and then said, so there's more stuff coming. So you need to stop it. But I would argue that the, you know, the start of the lie, and that Zuckerberg bought into completely hook, line, and sinker. So let's play the clip again. Hit it.
5: How do you guys handle things when they're a, a big news item that's controversial? Like there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Yeah, we had that
6: too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well. So, we took a different path than twitter. Um, I mean basically, the background here is the FBI i think basically came to us uh, some some folks on our team It was like, "Hey, um just so you know like you should be on high alert there was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the two thousand sixteen election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um uh, that's similar to that, so just be vigilant so." Our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said you can't share this at all. Um, We didn't do that. What we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we we also have this third party fact checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false. Um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So you um, say the distribution is decreased. In, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less. So fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely. By what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically a. Um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously, this is a hyper-political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still— view is a legitimate institution in this country it's a like very professional law enforcement they come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something Then i want to take that seriously
5: did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story
6: I, I, no I, I don't remember if it was that specifically but it was it basically fit the pattern
0: and so a few things jump out of me one thing he says there is they use th- third party fact checking services mark zuckerberg if you're a boss, if you're a CEO, you need to fire people. You need to stop your association with those third parties because they simply got it wrong. If you hire a meteorologist, man and their job is to forecast the weather, and they say it's going to be a great, beautiful day for a picnic today, and a hurricane that was entirely predictable <laughs> happens, and people die. You you fire that meteorologist, you get a new weatherman. And this is not a political issue. This is a factual issue. The Hunter Biden laptop was a, was from Hunter Biden, was not from Russia at all in any way. So, what do you think? Do you agree?
3: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there there are multiple issues here. I mean, there are systemic issues, obviously. Um In the question of the FBI and where their allegiance is, and it certainly doesn't at this point uh, appear to be upholding uh, the laws and the constitution of this land. But secondly, with Mark Zuckerberg, and as you pointed out, you rightfully pointed out there's a problem with the fact checker. One
0: second, because Manolo, you're being very nice to him, but do you actually (laughs) think there's a question about it? Do you think there's a question about the FBI or has that been answered already? You know what I'm saying?
3: Uh, Lee, I think they've shown their cards for for what they are the last five years. Um, I don't think certainly the listeners that you have right now uh, would disagree with that. I think the FBI has shown their cards. They've shown their true colors. Uh, they've proven to be a completely biased uh, arm of the Democrat Party that has served uh, only to protect them at this point. But I, to your point, with the the fact checkers at Facebook— now, the problem with the Facebook fact checkers is they employ these so-called third-party people, right? These third-party people, if you start digging into who they are, these are people that sit on the board at the AP, people that sit on the board at the New York Times, people that sit on the boards of mainstream media that are and the these so-called Atlantic fact
0: Council checkers. And
3: exactly. And
0: this, exactly. This is where Nina Yankovic and people like that. Yeah, go ahead and Ben all.
3: No, you're absolutely right. These are not unbiased people that are sitting on Facebook's fact check board. These are all people of boards of other media outlets that have shown their bias. And we know that they're anti-Russia. We know that they are pro-NATO. We know that they are pro-American deep state and have Generally, these people—if you look look into each individual—these are people that have donated lots of money into the Obama camp, the Hillary Clinton campaign. So these are not unbiased, fair people that are doing the so-called fact checking. Because let's face it, we live—and I'm going to credit her with this—for uh, better or worse—is Kellyanne Conway. We live in a world of alternative facts, and these fact checkers are alternative fact checkers. So. They pick things that are convenient to fit a certain narrative. And and while he said that he didn't outright ban Zuckerberg, that is, that he said he didn't outright ban the story, he effectively it's did. It's a lie. He effectively did. Because what you do is you suppress the algorithm so people cannot ever see it. So it's like the person that posted it is the only person that could really see it. So, I mean, it's the same way well, that and, I'm and, not uh, outright banned on Twitter, but but effectively I am.
0: And and excuse me, Manolo, I pointed out before, I tried to share, I have a specific experience where I tried to share information in private Facebook Messenger with a friend, and she did not see it. And I, Mm -hmm. so when I saw that happen, she said, I didn't get anything. I said, I sent to you a half hour ago, because on my screen, it showed that I'd sent it. Yes. So she said, I didn't get it. And I said, okay, I'll try it again. And I, I sent it again. She didn't get it. So I sent it to her another way. That's suppressing it. And as Thomas Massey, the great congressman from Kentucky pointed out, that is a First Amendment violation at the behest of the, the government, right?
3: Well, yes and no, because Facebook is still a private entity. It is not a government agency. They are allowed to pick and choose whatever they want, whether we like that or not.
0: I would argue because they were asked to by the government, it becomes a First Amendment violation at that point. Facebook is not an independent actor here. They're acting as a proxy for the U.S. government.
7: Would you agree? Well,
3: I agree with that. I agree. I agree that they're acting as a proxy. They are acting in service to the U.S. government, and they're— being able to do the dirty work that the U S government cannot do, such as dance all over our first amendment rights because they are a private company. And, you know, now that draws in the question of section 230 and what have you, but at the end of the day, as they are filed, they are a private entity and, you know, it's a restaurant that says no shoes, no shirt, no service. That's basically what we're dealing with with Facebook. And when you read through the, you know, hundreds of pages of their terms of service, service, their user agreement, they basically tell you, and I'm paraphrasing, they basically tell you, we will pick and choose what you can communicate, whether it's on your wall or a private message. Now, I can tell you from my own experience, I attempted to say something negative about Hillary Clinton on my own Facebook page. This is several years ago. I attempted to post something and it kept telling me, I kept clicking post and it kept telling me that there was a system error, system error, system error more than three or four times. So I took a screenshot of these system errors and what I was attempting to post. And I went and made a new post. And I was talking about how lovely, you know, on the post itself, I said how wonderful and amazing Hillary Clinton is and whatever. I've just praised Hillary Clinton on the post, but I put a picture. Put my screenshot in there of the what I really wanted to say, and guess what? It let me post it. I don't think that's a coincidence.
5: And uh,
0: it's a good point. And I'll point something out. This, this is a parallel situation to what happened in 2016, and it's the U.S. government does not like Russia or anyone exposing in any way or talking about it. it doesn't like people exposing truth about the Democrats for instance that joe biden son there's evidence of joe biden's corruption and in 2016 they didn't like the fact that hillary clinton was exposed taking over the democratic party so they don't like true information about democrats coming out because when the truth comes out about democrats it's repulsive to american voters so they have to figure out a way to kill that info. Now, the big story today, obviously, is that they've, they've released the affidavit about the Trump raid, which they're now calling the, you know, the, the I forget what phrase they're using. The Trump information. Now, what did you take from the, they had to get out by noon today and they, East Coast time, and they did. But it's heavily redacted. What's your take on the document that they released, Manila?
3: Well, at this point, it's still kind of hard to string together exactly what all went down if these are you know um just FBI assets or if these are uh, we'll call them moles or rats within the the Trump administration um but what we can tell from this document is that there are a lot of allegations um, that have been, I th- I think, not firmly vetted by the FBI, um, and also the parts that they did vet. Now, mind you, this this came through months of um, so-called investigation by the FBI. It didn't just happen overnight. It wasn't something that just magically happened. They popped in and showed up at Mar-a-Lago. This is something that has gone on for several months, where the National Archives had already had meetings with the Trump administration. They have collected some, you know, some things before. They'd already gone there to Mar-a-Lago, um, and from my understanding of what I could piece together from the parts I've read so far, and from comparing that to what the the Trump people, the Trump camp, have said, it seems that. The FBI, along with the National Archives people, seemed to have even though they had knowledge that there were other things there, seemed to kind of tacitly be okay with them having it because why didn't they take it back in june they They knew that Trump had all of this stuff they so the 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 failure of the FBI. Or the National Archives people to communicate with Trump's lawyers that, hey, we want to take all of this, to me, shows that they wanted to create the spectacle for one reason or another. Um, maybe it's, you know, they thought this was going to um, damage his image ahead of you know, him announcing that he's going to run for 2024. Um, but I, to me, I feel like there was a a huge miscalculation on the part of the archives, on the part of the FBI and whoever this well, the rat is within within the Trump uh, Mar-a-Lago group that there is something that happened there that seemed coordinated to me
0: and i didn't know that national archives was so active about getting information <laughs> and here's here's a hint for national archives because they have two buildings one there in washington and then one up in maryland they have all the information on the kennedy assassination and mm-hmm. y- According to a law passed by Congress under a couple years ago, the CIA was supposed to release information about the Kennedy assassination, and that was yes. going to go to the National Archives, but they did not do it. And I didn't see the National Archives call the <laughs> CIA and say, hey, you're required by law to release that info. So <laughs> it, it, it seems like they're very selective about what they pick. Do you agree with me
3: Oh, yeah, that's that's why I say that this seems like a very coordinated effort. And and mind you, I'm not a, a Trump supporter. I'm not, you know, but I'm, I'm going to call a spade a spade when I see it. It just seems to me that there was a huge coordinated plan here. And if you look at the if you look at the same FBI that helped coordinate this bogus fake kidnapping of Governor Gretchen Whitmer it's the same it's the same organization, not only that, it's the same guy that failed up the guy that the 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 bureau uh, the bureau chief up there in Michigan is the same guy that failed up in that stupid plot. He failed up and got moved to the mothership at the Hoover building, and he's the one that oversaw this a lago raid. I don't find that to be a coincidence. I don't find it Brian to be Ron, a coincidence that yeah, it's not a not a coincidence, of, not a
0: o- of course, you're right, Manila. It's not a coincidence. Thanks. It's always great to talk to you, and we might see you in a few months. I as I head back to the East Coast oh,
8: after great. spending
0: my time in South Dakota, and uh, uh, you know, I'll buy you lunch or something like that.
3: But uh, it's I, always I look great to, to see you.
0: Well, you're doing great work, and Manila, great conversation. We'll be back with more on. Backstory, and we are back live with the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the news. Sometimes it's really close behind the news because it's not hard to figure some of this stuff out. You just have to want to. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. That was Ray Mandela Chan, and she's the co-host of Fault Lines with Chan and Thomas, or Thomas and Chan, however you want to do it, on Radio Sputnik. We always love having Manila on the show. Because as a journalist, free speech issues affect what we do for a living. And as Manil said, manil has been suppressed, as so am I. On Twitter, I'm called Russian Affiliated Media. But like most Russian Affiliated Media, I tell the freaking truth. And that's why it suppressed me. Because people like Manil and I are telling you the truth. The laptop was real. And that's why they want to suppress it. The Hillary Clinton emails were real. That's why I suppressed them. Coming up this hour, our great friend Carter Laren, And we have all kinds of stuff to, to talk to Carter about. And we'll be talking to Carter later in the hour. Now let's take a, break, a short break. Like short, I mean about two seconds. The time it takes to do a boom on The Backstory. And let's go to calls two oh two five two one thirteen twenty. Our good friend Brave is calling from Atlanta. Brave, what's on your mind, buddy?
8: Hey, how goes the Lee? Uh can you hear me clearly? Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh so I got a few points I wanted to, I wanted to raise uh, from your last segment. Um but I, I wanted to start if I could, first with a pitch meeting right quick. Um I, I feel like Manila Chan, I know she's I know she does fault lines, I, I enjoy this to her every morning. Manila Chan needs her own show on RT, man, and you guys got a window. From ten to twelve, that she that she could actually do it in, and I know you got the juice there, RT man. So you you should you should push that man. You should make that happen. Well, well, let me point out that
0: RT is it, RT America is shut down, is gone. That's the TV network. You mean Sputnik?
8: Yeah, I mean Sputnik. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, yeah, no, no. A lot of people, you know, uh, confuse them. In lawsuit where I was sued by Brendan Gilmore, the State Department official they say I work for RT and duh, I don't. It's, you know, I say Sputnik all the time, but that's a lawsuit. So I'm not, I just want to clarify brave because a lot of people are are confused about Sputnik radio. RT was TV and Minola was on RT and she did a great job over there. And um, now she's on radio, but you know, I don't set programming at a Sputnik, but I'll register your vote, brave. So, what else are on your mind?
8: <laughs> That's all I can ask, man. Um, so, um, a few things. When it comes to the um, to the Zuckerberg uh, the, the Zuckerberg um, spot with Joe Rogan, I, I reject his his whole framing. It's obviously all a lie, right? And uh, I can't wait to listen to that whole pod that whole podcast. But uh, first and foremost. Uh, as Manila Chan—to Chan, the, to the point that Manila Chan raised, um, the, the so-called fact-checkers that, um, that Facebook uses uh, are all tied to Facebook anyways, right? And obviously other media sources, right? Um, but I will go further. When he says that, you know, somebody from the FBI came to us, it's well-documented that the FBI has offices at Facebook. Like, the FBI and CIA have offices at Facebook, right? So no one has to come to them. They're already there and um, I, I, would, I would also... Um,
0: uh, I mean, they stopped him at the, at the coffee bar.
8: There you go. They met him at, they met him at the water cooler. Um, I would also want to back up your point because... Why Jonas? Yeah, I contacted you guys um, back when John was still on, and I brought the point that I was sharing messages. I was trying to share messages on, on Facebook and, and Messenger, and they were getting blocked. And uh, also, and obviously on Instagram and Twitter as well, and I would go further and mention um, that I was actually trying to share text messages concerning the Hunter Biden uh, story, and those weren't getting sent. So that censorship was was uh, extremely crazy. And to go even further with Facebook, so at that time I ran three I ran three podcasts. I ran a um, a nerd podcast called Toy Detox. I ran my own personal podcast, and then on Facebook I did constant live streaming. Facebook took my uh, Facebook took my my um, my account away. It totally took it away and and the, the the uh story that I was given was that I was under the age limit to have I was too young to have a Facebook page. But I noticed that, that it that it really um it happened after I really consistently ramped up all of my lives. Wait,
0: wait, 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 Brave, I gotta back up for a sec. Did you say you were too young?
8: Yeah, yeah. It said I'm forty five years old. <laughs> but it said that I was too young and then I never had um the uh two the two uh two step uh Security check crap. That, that, that stuff was ridiculous. I never had that. Well, they took it. They turned it on, but then you know, the, you know the whole the whole uh, miracle round when you try to get your account back with Facebook, and it um and it tells you to do this, and you can't do it if you don't have two step or whatever the case is. So yeah, they they purposely shut down my my uh, Facebook account specifically
0: because and and also uh, let me just say this. Sorry, brave, and I I'm you know I love you, but and I'm an old person, but dude. That's not too young. Forty-five is old enough. Where if you went to a drag queen show, it wouldn't be controversial. Does that make sense?
8: Exactly. Exactly. I would never be there, but exactly. So yeah. So it was. Um. It was just Facebook censoring. And uh, I, 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 then I would, I would, I would close on. I would just say one more thing, and I would close on this. Um. To the to the point that um that our, the conversation that you and our killer had earlier. I don't know, I have to push back on the pushback a little bit. I do feel like I do feel like the American like Americans are for the most part very not just lazy, but um are we are lazy when it comes to politics, right? And and we are complacent, which makes us complicit because
0: Yes. I I like the word complacent a little, little better than lazy.
8: Yeah, okay. So um no com- complacent it sounds a little better, but I, I would stress lazy because I mean, when, when we can go on TikTok, I mean, as busy as Americans are, yeah, we are all very busy and distracted, but we have no problem spending, like, hours on TikTok and learning every song and practicing TikTok moves and, and getting on Instagram and learning what all the celebrities are doing on 90 Days Fiance and whatever the song lyrics are. So we have plenty of time. It's about what you want to dedicate your time to, and, and I, I know the common Americans shouldn't have to, but no, I, I think it's fair to expect that we should be engaged in our politics because uh, if not, this is how we get the situation we are in now, where there are wars and people are being killed and destroyed and, and, and murdered and slaughtered, and countries are being rebelized and, and all at the behest of the U.S. empire. So, no, I would have to call I would have to call America lazy. You, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah, and um, I don't know. I just find it very frustrating that we're not more engaged on our policies. If I could, one, one final point. I know I've been going on a bit. But um, as it relates to the uh, student loan, Uh, Thing with Biden, yeah, yeah, it is trash. But I I just, I don't, I I can't stand the arguments about paying for it and the arguments about inflation because what they owe us this because they take our money, they 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 put us in constant debt, they take our money and they wage wars and they pay themselves and all of this stuff and we get nothing from it. You look at our cities and our states and how our infrastructure is falling apart, how our education system is trash and everything that goes along in that in that bag, right? We get nothing for our tax dollars. So these things are owed to us. So I don't think that we should be arguing about well, who's going to pay for it? Stop spending all that money on government contracting uh, company owned CEOs and all of that stuff, and give us and give us the the benefit of the money that's being taken from us. That's all I have. Now, do. brave
0: let me uh, and I'll let you go in a sec. But I got to ask you a personal question. So you made the slightly transphobic statement that you would never go to the drag queen show, right? And and nope. by transphobic, I just being... You don't want to. But you're in Atlanta, right? Atlanta, Georgia. Correct, Brave? Yes, Yeah. Yes, Okay. Atlanta is well-known for strip clubs featuring full-on females with uteruses and all their original parts. Have you ever been to any of those clubs in Atlanta, by any chance, with real strippers? I've been to a number of strip clubs
8: and a number of places in my younger days uh, before being married. So, yeah. Well, here's
0: here's my question, and, and again, it's legendary strip clubs sitting there. Did you see any kids?
8: Uh, no, I, I did it, and, and, and that's a perfect that's a perfect point. And I, I, if I could just say one, well, I make it very quick. Um, it's, not that it's, uh, it's not that my point is or my my feelings concerning the the matters are transphobic, but maybe they maybe it was a, that was a joke, by the way. No, no, I know. I, I don't. I know. I, I just. Yeah. I, I know. I, I'm just saying that um, the concern that I that, that I see. And I discuss. I discussed it. I discussed it with Malik and a number of other people. Not throw Malik under the bus or anything like that. But uh, my wife. Is, there seems to be a concerted effort to push the um, the argument, the narrative, the support of um, about transgender women, meaning men who's trans, who's trans um, transition to, to being so called women. There are no arguments about. About there are no arguments in the media space, in the commercial space, in the sports space about. Uh, trans about transgender uh, men, meaning women who transition into, into women. And so I find that there is something strange about that. When you look at the education system and how they try to introduce all of this stuff into our educational system, it always seems to come back to men who have now transitioned into being women, supposedly. There's something weird there. And I, and I, and I do think the idea of grooming— um, Right some part there. And, yeah, that's just my opinion
0: on that. Yeah, and and thanks a lot for the call, Brave. Great call, as usual. And uh, it was a joke, uh, calling it transphobic. And calling people who don't want to go to a drag queen show transphobic is like calling gay men misogynistic. What's wrong with you? Are you misogynistic? What, you hate women? You won't kiss them? What's wrong with you? And, obviously, people have a right— to like what they like sexually, let me put it like that, and not like other things, and just not be into it, and just not want to go, and that's fine. 202-521-1320, Ingrid in D.C., what is on your mind?
4: Haley, I'm calling to talk about Scott Ritter, Diane Stair, and Chuck Schumer, but just quickly on the Pell Grants, they're not alone, they're a grant, And the only way anybody ever has to repay them is if they drop out of school or other very limited and reasonable exceptions. But what I want to say about New York State, there's a candidate. That's
0: interesting. Yeah.
4: there's a candidate running for Senate, Diane Sayre. She's on the she's an independent supported by the LaRouche group, and she is on the Ukrainian hit list, as is Scott Ritter. And the two, the two of them were interviewed together on a New York station. You should get them in. You should definitely get Diane Sarin. It turns out of those 72 people that are on the Ukrainian blacklist, the first, like, 26 are people affiliated with LaRouche for some reason, including this, this uh, gentleman, George Kuhn who's sometimes a guest with Wilmer and, and, and Garland. And I guess he just happened to have uh, spoken at one of their things or, or whatever. Um, but it would be great if you got if you got them on the show. And also, I'd like to know where you can find the list. I'd like to know who's on this list, because I go to that uh, uh, Ukrainian site, and I get a 404. I you know you hear like so and so's on it so and so's on it but I can't find the list anywhere. Didn't somebody copy that and can't, can't we find it? But get Diane well, and, and Scott Ritter. Obviously, what the, what
0: the Ukrainians need to do with their kill list is get a Facebook page for it because Zuckerberg would be fine with that, you know, and that way people could sign up and see who's on the kill list and talk about it with their friends. But I, I don't know. I've never looked at. I've never looked for it because I'm a little nervous that I'm going to be on it at some point. And not so much for this show, although this this show should do it, but because I'm in, in the film Revealing Ukraine. And I know the Ukrainians didn't like that film, Eagle Laponics Revealing Ukraine. And because I'm in it and work for Sputnik, uh, I'm a little frightened that I'm going to end up on that list at some point
4: doing a great thing he you know he's written publicly to Schumer and his other representatives and saying you know what's up you guys are giving us taxpayer money to the Ukrainian bureaucrats who are coming up with this list that targets Americans
0: and i think we've talked about Roger Waters before uh, Ingrid i'm stunned and i think it's shameful that no british officials like liz truss or it's predictable, but shameful. Roger Waters, an elderly bass player for a British prog rock band, is on that list. And I guess the what the Ukrainians object to is him playing in 5-4 time, which he does on Money. But it is shocking that a well-known British artist is being threatened with assassination by Ukraine— and Bojo goes over there and praises them. It's disgusting to me. What do you think about that, Ingrid?
4: But you, you reminded me, Roger Waters has been very supportive of Julian Assange. Things we've got coming up here in D.C. is we're going to be uh, showing, doing public showings of a film, The War on Journalism. And, uh, well, I think obviously it, it's... Absurd that they don't support Roger Waters, just like it's absurd that the Australians don't support Julian Assange.
0: I saw more support for Brittany Griner, who was vaping in Russia. So there's more support for Brittany Griner than than the British government. Again, I'm not saying they have to support him in general, but when a government's talking about assassinating him, that's disgusting. But Greg Collingrid. Thanks a lot. Now, Rod, the other thing has been going on, and I've known about this phenomenon for years. About uh, a dozen years ago, maybe 10. So I got to think about it because Andrew Breitbart's been dead for 10 years. It's the 10th anniversary of his death. But about 12 years ago, I think, I became aware of a phenomenon called swatting because. People who were talking about pro-Ukrainian, serial bomber, pedophile, Brett Kimberlin. We've talked about that guy before. People who were talking about Brett Kimberlin online kept getting swatted. And Rod, what is swatting? How would you explain to people who don't know what swatting is?
1: <clears throat> well, the the reason I know about it is because uh, gamers... Uh, people who play on pc or other consoles like playstation or xbox uh sometimes they get upset with uh people who are other people other users who are too good in certain games like call of duty uh, or if they're hackers or anything like that and they'll call the police and say uh this person who lives here uh at this address and then you know they give them other information uh is making terroristic threats or he's talking about uh uh, bombing a school or something. And then, you know, uh, the, the, that local police department will send in their SWAT unit and, uh, and arrest this person.
0: It's a way of using the police to harass someone. And sometimes they say, they call up and they say, I'm going to kill myself, you know, and I'm going to take out a few people with me. Then the police show up. And since then it, you're right. Gamers use that, by the way, that never happened back in the days of Pac-Man, never once. And there's no t- Tetris swatting. Why? who knew that the word Tetris could be so difficult to say? But uh, Marjorie Taylor Green was swatted two nights in a row, a congresswoman, and by the second night, they should have been all over that. Russia was able to find a person who was responsible for a bombing in about a day. But if you, if you swat someone, the FBI is too busy swinging elections and raiding Trump to be able to handle that. Why can't they find the person who's done the swatting? And this is just a blatant form of intimidation against a congresswoman who said a lot of brave stuff and who is legislation. We're talking about the drag queen situation She's got legislation about that, that taking a minor to a drag show would be illegal. And I i don't think specifically that should be legal or illegal. I, but I, I think in general, I think it should be the same rule. I think if if you bring a kid to an Atlanta strip club with girls, that's a problem, right? But Marjorie Shanna Green is under attack and I find the lack of law enforcement activity very disturbing. And people who are Democrats and who don't like Marjorie Jetta Greene, you don't you you don't have to be Democrat. You cannot let law enforcement agencies selectively enforce the law based on a person's political affiliations because it could come back
1: to hunt you. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, Lee, uh, you know, you you, you made it very clear the other day, um, I think, with uh, Jason when you told him that, you know, local police departments are controlled by politicians. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, wherever uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is in in Georgia, I wouldn't be surprised if that locality uh, is controlled by Democrats who don't like her and— Okay, that second raid. Because I mean, if you already sw- sent a SWAT team in on this congresswoman, why would you come in the next night? You know what I mean? Like thinking, like, oh no, no, this is the night she's going to, whatever. Maybe she has a bomb, or she's, you know, whatever the situation was.
0: No, you know, right, exactly. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is an example of the po- post-Trump Republican Party. She and Lauren Bullard and Carrie Lake, who we talked about before, are an example of new Republicans. And these are the techniques. By the way, and has Marjorie Taylor Greene's opponent condemned
1: this yet? Because uh, You know, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if no. Probably not.
0: Because after 24 hours or so, she's running for reelection, of course, because all Congress people are for reelection every two years. But her opponent, you'd think that if someone's trying to kill your opponent, because these swanning things are very dangerous, the police go in often armed into them, and and no one died. But there, it's not just about frightening a person. The police can go in if they go in armed, suspecting violence or suicide or something like that. People can get killed accidentally, right, Rod?
1: Oh yeah, it's it's happening and it's on uh, it's on camera because usually, like these gamers, I said they usually um they usually on. Stream live to see themselves, and it's happened where, uh, you know, these and it's obviously these are just false accusations that these, uh, you know, that there's the you need to send in SWAT unit because this guy's super dangerous, so he's going to do something. And it, it's happened where the police have killed, uh, uh the person that's being swatted, so it's on camera. And there's a, a YouTube channel called Police Activity, you can also see uh, sometimes scenes like that as well.
0: Now, so I'm going to go back to the discussion we had a little before with Brave and I made the comment about. I think the point about lazy voters versus complacent, and I could even argue that it—I'll put it like this. No citizen should have to do research because their government is lying to them. You see my point? When the government is actively lying— don't blame the person who falls for the lie. Say the problems with the liars, with the government, because if you don't want to be interested in politics, I think you should have that right. And if you want to casually watch the news, you should be able to watch it. And you should not have to fact check everything the government said. Now, what I would say to somebody if they were said, well, how do I avoid getting lied to, you can research yourself. And I would urge people to research themselves. I would tell people how to do that, how they can run these things down. But if someone said, I don't want to do that, I'm busy, I got all kinds of stuff I'm going through, and I, I don't want to research everything the government says and double check and make sure it's factually true, I, would, I can't argue, well, you lazy bastard, what are you up to? But if you care about the truth, and everybody should care about the truth at this point because it's having consequences for a lot of people. But, Rod, where do you come down on the citizens' right to not be interested in politics versus lazy or complacency?
1: I'm going to side a little, I'm going to side more with brave. Uh, a lot of people are obviously complacent, but uh, very lazy as well. Uh, and they do have obviously you said they're busy. A lot of people are working, working multiple jobs, but I see a ton of people, a ton of people, Lee, who have all the time to be on social media, uh, married, single, in between, looking looking for women and vice versa, and like you said, doing these stupid TikTok dances and all this other stuff. So it's just nonsensical information in their head and just visual stimulation. But you know what I mean? But now when it comes to our political situation and, and why everything is the way it is, Uh, You know, no. You know, I don't. They want the Cliff Notes version. They don't want to get any any depth at all. They just want the Cliff Notes. Give me the quickest version possible. And so, yeah.
0: And also, I got to point out: real life, regular life is complex. Just regular life, just you know, working and eating food and going out to eat. And I'm looking into the move back to East Coast. And I have not had a move for a couple years. And I had to move out to South Dakota under—I didn't have time to really look to do a lot of research. I had to get out here. Uh, But this move, I'm doing a little more planning. And doing research for a move, I'm reminded, moving sucks. It really sucks. And there's a lot of complex decisions. For instance, do we rent a truck or hire movers? And if so— that's a lot of money. Have you have you looked into moving lately, Rod?
1: Um, I was helping a friend move, uh, I'd say a year and a half ago, and so yeah, I've I've been involved with moving situations almost every summer. This one I haven't.
0: And and does it, does it not suck? I mean, it's a lot of things you have to think about.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, materials, uh, clothes, furniture. Uh, moving, you know, going up and down the stairs, like you said, uh, uh, running a truck, and all the, all the stuff that entails with that,
0: and even figuring even figuring out where to move. In my case, you know, I'm I I'm going back Virginia because that's my home state and the home state of my children uh, legally, but uh, I, and I liked Virginia when I lived there, but I've got to figure out because I work in D.C. The studio there is in DC, the Sputnik studio. But I don't want to live in DC, but I don't want to be too far from the studio. So try and figure that. And since I've been there, the new thing in DC, the area I like, Arlington, Alexandria, in Arlington, Amazon, I think, is now in the area. So Amazon moved their national headquarters there, one of them at least. Remember, Rod, you, you've heard that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I can't believe that's going to make it easier to move there with a lot of people working for Amazon right in this same area. So let's go take a break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by the great Carter Lairn here on The The Backstory. Backstory, and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in the capital of lies Washington, D.C. Joining us now, one of our favorite people, and a frequent guest co-host on the show, the great Carter Laren from Unsafe Space. Hey, Carter, how you doing? I'm doing well, Lee. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. So, we've talked a lot this week about Alexander Dugan, the Russian philosopher and intellectual and we talked a little about why trump got into some problems yesterday with ingrid and i and you and i are both we know a lot about would you would you say you're a fan
9: of ayn rand uh i would say yes i'm not sure fan is exactly the right word but i have a tremendous you, amount yeah, of respect for the work she's done yeah yeah yeah
0: and uh yeah i, I was I was influenced heavily by Ayn Rand, particularly as a teenager. And I talked to you, I called you, I bugged you at home, sorry. I called Carter last night. And and I wanted to make sure he knew about something. And I'm not surprised at all. I know you know about it. One of my favorite essays by Ayn Rand was an essay called, and it was a book as well. And the essay is called Philosophy Who Needs It? And it was originally a speech she did for
9: West Point cadets, I believe. Am I right on that, Carter? Yes. uh, In fact, the the first chapter in the book is the speech that she gave to West Point in 1974, I think. And I think it's a great speech and very accessible,
0: very, very, very accessible. And the theme of it, it, philosophy who needs it, is why philosophy, a subject matter that most people could care less about, And don't know anything about and are forced to take a college to get three credits in humanities. Have you noticed that philosophy is not popular with people, Carter?
9: But why? Yeah, but I think it makes sense. (laughs) No, I I think it makes sense. Right. Because, I mean, you know this, Lee, the the philosophers that we've had to deal with for the past couple hundred years, by and large, have been uh, ridiculous. They've made philosophy a joke. So. When people hear philosophy, they think about about sitting around and contemplating whether the ceiling exists, and of course that doesn't seem like it has any practical value, and that kind of philosophy doesn't have any practical value. But that's not what Aristotle did, that's not what Socrates did, it's not what some of the founding fathers did, and it's not what Ayn Rand did. Right, and when I was talking to Kurt last night, I mentioned that I
0: went to a high school, private high school, that was founded by people who were admirers of Ayn Rand, And that my philosophy teacher, it turns out he's kind of famous now with the objectivist community with the Ayn Rand fans. And turned out Carter heard of him, a guy named Dr. Andrew Bernstein. And Doc Rock, that's what he called himself. Andy Bernstein was the best philosophy teacher I've ever seen. And I was a TA for Andy. And I'll tell you why, Carter. He was very relatable. He when he was teaching students, when he talked about ethics and stuff like that. He didn't talk in highfalutin terms. He said, you know, do you get drunk or go to school? Do you get a job or steal stuff? That's ethics, for instance. He made it very relatable. And a lot of academic philosophers don't make it
9: relatable. Do you agree, Carr? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, people like like Andy, uh, and there's obviously some other contemporary ones. I really like Stephen Hicks, for example— Um, You know, and and Ayn Rand, their goal was to clarify uh, how philosophy can help you live on Earth, whereas I think a lot of the philosophers that people learn about, even when they take those three credits in college, they they tend to learn more about the history of philosophy rather than philosophy. And they tend to study philosophers whose goal was to obfuscate and uh, and really hide what they were doing in, in order to push some really bad idea. Now, do you think philosophy matters? Of course. Of course, it probably matters um, more than most things. I mean, it's, it's one of the most important things. And I think one of the things I got out of this, you know, uh, the Rand essay that we're talking about is a lot of people don't realize that they already operate on a lot of philosophical assumptions and premises. And if they haven't consciously thought through the uh, the system of philosophy that they, if they haven't made it a conscious choice, then those principles are often in conflict with one another in conflict with reality. Uh, They're taken out of, you know, there may be abstract, you know, uh, little cliche sayings that are taken out of context that they've integrated in some way. And, and as a result, their, their subconscious kind of integration of all of this stuff happens and they don't really, they don't really realize that they are operating on philosophic principles. It's just they're often a mess. They're often self-contradictory, and that does not lead to happiness and or success. And it's much better to be clear about what the ideas are, why those are the ideas that you uh, hold, and and to integrate your belief system so that it's not self-contradictory and so that it doesn't contradict reality.
0: And even the basic... Branches of philosophy, such as metaphysics and epistemology, come up. And I'm going to use the Rogan Zuckerberg thing as an example. One question here that's, let me ask it in a philosophical way Do facts exist, or is everything just an opinion? Would you agree that's a philosophical question, Carr? Absolutely. Yeah. And you can see that Zuckerberg thinks that, I'll give an example of a fact Hunter Biden had a laptop. Now, some people believe that is useless to ask a factual question about that. The only thing that matters is an opinion about it. And Zuckerberg said, this is a highly, highly charged political issue. And I disagree. The fundamental issue is, does Hunter Biden, did he have a laptop or did Russia say that it was put out of a lie? a False story. And if you can't answer that question, you don't know anything about what's going on, in my opinion.
9: But do you see what I'm saying, Kar? Yeah, and I think I think Zuckerberg, I, you might not agree with, with this assessment of mine, but I, I think uh, one of the most damaging philosophical systems, I won't even call it a system, but it is an attitude that people have adopted today, and Zuckerberg is, a, I think, a prime example of this, is pragmatism. It's this idea that, uh, well, I don't actually need to have any consistent or integrated view of the world. I'm just going to uh, take whatever works at whatever given time and just kind of be a pragmatist. And that's a disastrous way to live. And you can see in Zuckerberg, you can see him dance around on Joe Rogan. Uh, he, he's just he's a pragmatist and he's just trying to, to get away with not being the one to make a decision Uh, He tries to he says, well, we have other fact checkers and we did this and blah, blah, blah. Like everything is relative to him. And he just wants to not have to be responsible for answering the question for himself. Is this fake news or not? And that's because he he doesn't he's trying to avoid taking a stand on anything. And I think that's a result of his his deep, deep pragmatism. He, He thinks that making money and running Facebook can be done through pure uh, pragmatism. And I think, you know, obviously you can do a lot with pragmatism, but I don't think it will work in the end. And I don't think it, uh, I don't think it helps him sleep at night. Now, of course
0: you have the unsafe Space podcast, and you deal a lot with the issues of wokeism and the woke movement. And by the way, the, the, the philosophical father of the woke movement, I've talked about the philosophical father of the new left, is her herbert Marcuse from the frankfurt school and marcusa's interesting have you noticed by the way that Imran had a, a book of essays called the new left about the new left philosophy and it's very hard to
9: find now it's out of print have you noticed that you know i did try and look for it recently because it's been a long time since i read it and i don't i lost my copy perhaps in a divorce at some point but uh Yeah, I I did try and find it, and it's not easy to find anymore. I wonder why that is, Lee.
0: And she she wrote... For a long time, I knew who Herbert Marcuse was only through Ayn Rand. Then when I started to read about the comedies in the 60s, the SDS, and the Panthers, Marcuse came up in my reading of history, and I was thankful that Ayn Rand had written about him. But I think it's because... That underlying philosophy that underlies leftist wokeism. And by the way, Carter, let's be sure to promote your podcast.
9: Tell people where they, where they can find your work. Sure, we're at unsafespace.com. You can find us on YouTube at unsafe space. Those are the best ways. Thanks. Yeah, I want to make sure
0: people can get to more of your great work. But I would say the underlying philosophy of wokeism is a view of reality. It's subjectivity versus objectivity. And you see this in lots of issues, but a perfect example is a trans issue currently. Is the definition of gender an objective fact or is it all opinion? Do you think that's a philosophical issue at play in wokeism,
9: Carter? I do, although I would say, again, you and I might disagree on this part. Uh, I think wokeism is largely the Frankfurt school. There's definitely a lot of Marcusa, and you see his uh, repressive tolerance all over the place. Uh, the flip side is you've got a lot of postmodern philosophy mixed in with wokeism and you do have, you know, some of the, the pillars of wokeism, like Kimberly Crenshaw, who invented the the term intersectionality. I think she invented the term, if not just the concept generally. And uh, they'll explicitly reject uh, some of the postmodernist stuff. Um, because it it contradicts some of their political goals. I really view wokeismly as a psychological movement more than anything else. And yes, they will take the ideas of the Frankfurt School, but they'll also take postmodernist uh, ideas and they can be in conflict. And so one issue on one issue. they So, for example, they'll say you could you could call yourself a woman and that makes you a woman, but you can't call yourself black. That doesn't make you black. Right. And those are two. Clearly contradictory statements to say philosophically, but uh, that contradiction doesn't bother them because they're taking their uh, they're they're taking their ideas from whatever school of thought justifies them, and they're and it's a psychological motivation.
0: And I don't think we disagree too much there. I think it's important when looking at people to understand they have multiple motivations, and philosophy is a logical motivator. But you're right. Philosophy, philosophy is not the only motivator for people. People are not Spock. People don't just operate on ideas. But there's a psychological aspect. But I think for a lot of people, they inherit the psychology, the neurosis. They're turned into cowards It at college. I'm going to make this. If you know that your professor is going to flunk you if you say the wrong thing, that's going to have a psychological effect on you.
9: Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I do think where, you know, you and I can kind of say, well, maybe we don't disagree so much is that I I do think there is a an interplay between philosophy and psychology. I think one redounds upon another and I think this is something you see throughout history. You see um someone who, with some psychological motivation come up with some philosophical ideas to rationalize or justify that and then those ideas are embraced by people later on who have a, a different psychological needs and they're expanded and then they have a new philosophy that they develop and it, it kind of spirals out of control so that a lot of modern philosophy is merely just uh, a collection of rationalizations that people with psychological dysfunction have piled together over the past 200 years. Now, do you personally, Carter, like
0: looking into philosophical, intellectual history of, of
9: topics is that something you're interested in, intellectual history? I do, and if I had more time, I would, uh, I would definitely, I would definitely spend more time doing that. I wish I were a, a history major back in the day, but I was an electrical engineer, so uh, I have, I have a lot of catching up to do. So you decide to get a job skill. Good for, good on you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, with no student so, loans, by so, the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out, <laughs> I went to a cheap school so that I could do it for free, and you know, get out without student loans anyway, and I had a real degree. Something that I guess you're not, not popular anymore. Not with Democrats. But
0: intellectual history, I would define history, of course. One type of history is what you consider normal history, which looks at events. For instance, this treaty was signed in this year. This war happened in this year. Intellectual history looks, it's kind of like Jenga. Ideas are often reliant on other ideas. Or they rest on, on another idea. So finding out where the idea comes from, what its precursors are, is something, and it's very nerdy, that I like looking into. And so I think from a personal way of looking at intellectual history, if people, if I, if I knew someone who had woke ideas that they were adamant about, and I cared to, to have a discussion with him. Or they're a friend of mine, I would st- start to ask them about their own personal intellectual history. When did you start to think that? Because obviously, if you think something like, you know, there's no such objective thing as gender, I often say there are some ideas that are so stupid, you can only pick them up
9: at college. Does that make sense, Carter? Yeah. And I think another really great question is to just start, which is related, just start asking people why. Um, and also something that Socrates would have argued for is, is really defining terms. I think a lot of people use gender and sex interchangeably. There's arguments for using them interchangeably. There's arguments for not using them interchangeably. A lot of times, uh, you know, people aren't really even sure what they're meaning. So getting on the same page as, you know, what those words mean is important. And uh, and asking people why. Why do you think this? like. And what's your motivation? Because frankly, I think a lot of people, they might not admit it, but I think their motivation is social in many uh, respects, right? They they know what they need to say, or I'll say it the other way. They know what they can't say if they don't want to be ostracized. And so there's a tremendous, right now in, in our culture, there's tremendous pressure to put your pronouns in your Twitter bio or conform in some other way because Otherwise, you could suffer real social consequences, uh, and that's you know that's the that's what's wrong with being in a in a world in which uh, the the kind of crazy woke authoritarian leftism has taken over the culture.
0: I must say a statement that's somewhat controversial, and I I can't even justify it completely. But I think that broadly, the reason the Democrats like to push academia on people going to college is because that's where you develop. Not just these ideas, but the, psycho- the the psychology of intimidation. I think for years, I, you know, I've heard about this for years. The intimidation that people feel. My, my, Andy Bernstein, used to, I knew Andy when he was going for his doctorate. And when he was going for his doctorate, he was still an M.A. when I knew him. Uh, I helped him study for his Doctorate, But he used to talk about when he was working on his thesis at NYU, how brutal it was psychologically that his teachers, his professors hated him. And it was it was had a profound psychological effect on Andy. I could see how and perhaps you know, people like this, Carter, who college is really bad because they don't hold leftists. Or subjectivist ideas. Do you know what I'm talking
9: about? Any personal experience there? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's quite common. And uh, and it's and it's been getting worse. But you know, as you know, Lee, I think the if instead of Democrats, we just use we just use the phrase collectivist or collectivist based philosophy, which I which is kind of under not, underlies a lot of Democrat uh, big D Democrat thinking. Um, the the universities in the U.S. were captured a long time ago. I mean, uh, almost right at their inception, they were based on uh, German schools and German philosophy at the time was uh, the uh, was poison to American philosophy. And it's just taken a long time for that poison to um, reach critical mass enough that it's really starting to hurt uh, America pretty severely. But it's always been there. I don't think there was ever a time in America's history in which our universities weren't infected with anti-American and anti-enlightenment philosophy. I mean, Kant is kind of a counter-enlightenment thinker and um, you know, he's been, obviously he was uh, after American revolution, but he was, you know, that kind of thought has been permeating our universities for a long time. So it's not surprising that, uh, the party that's more collectivist, although I said I think some Republicans have a little bit, but that the Democrats, uh, it's not surprising that they really like that environment, even if they're not pushing it with a, this you know an overt intent. If they, even if they're not consciously aware, um, they really like the environment of college, and you can see people talking about uh, education, even a lot of uh, secondary schools. And elementary schools. If you if you start shopping for private schools, one of the things they'll they'll talk about is building good citizens and activism. And those aren't things that have to do with education. Those are things that have to do with political agendas. And um, and that's how the left thinks. Um. So, it's it's a shame. But this has been a long, long time coming. Now,
0: another thing uh, I ask you about: Are you aware? I I only became actually aware of this recently. When I started to research stuff on Dugan, there is a category that I'll call philosophical YouTube. It's a bunch of people out there who talk about philosophy in an academic way, but entertaining
9: way. Have you fallen into philosophical YouTube at all? I mean, a little bit. Uh you know, we have so unsafe space has a lot of different shows. Some of them are more news based. Some of them are pop culture. The one that I do, which is called Dangerous Thoughts, is uh, is mostly focused on philosophy. I'm just not very entertaining, but I, I have seen other people do them. And um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you can even look at figures that predate the philosophical you know world of YouTube and and look at people like Stefan Molyneux, who, you know, re- regardless of whether people like him or not. He's been explicitly talking about philosophy for over a decade now, and he's he had a quite—I don't know how what his popularity is right now, but his podcast was hugely popular. I think there's a lot of interest. You can see the interest in Jordan Peterson when he talks about ideas. I think a lot of people are craving for someone to actually talk about philosophical ideas in a way that's comprehensible and that is relevant to life on Earth and not in a way that is ridiculous, which is—you get to ridiculous pretty quickly if you look at most modern philosophers.
0: Well. now, and you mentioned Stefan Molyneux, bald Canadian philosopher, as you mentioned. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? We've mentioned it a couple of times this week on the show. What's your personal opinion, actually, Carter? I'm interested
9: in what you think of Peterson. Uh, well, uh, coincidentally enough, I, I worked with him before he was famous a few years ago doing um, screening for founders, psychological screening for, for people who wanted to be early stage founders at companies. And he's always been uh, he's always been, yeah, he's always been very thoughtful, uh, very intelligent, very, uh, very interested in, in learning and figuring stuff out. So I have a lot of respect for him generally. Um, I, I think what he's done in the past few years has been a positive force for uh, our culture. I don't agree with all of his conclusions. He's very focused on, um, Religion, in a way that uh, I wouldn't be, and I think he's very focused on tradition um and but but his but his goal here is to really he likes to extract meaning from parables and meaning from stories, and i think I think that's all useful. Um my favorite thing about him is he he's really an advocate for personal responsibility, and I think that's probably what attracts most people to him. It's not necessarily. His analysis of the Bible or anything else. It's his um, insistence that you are responsible for your own life and you'll actually be happier and live a better life if you take res- uh, responsibility for yourself and, you know, as he would say, make your bed. So I, I like him a lot. Uh, I, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't agree with all of his philosophy, but I do think he's been a great influence on our culture.
0: Well, I've interviewed his daughter before. We had Michaela on. Uh... Fault Lines, when I was co-host of that show. And we had her on to talk about diet, believe it or not, because she's an advocate of the carnivore diet. And we were talking about the ketogenic diet a lot in the show at the time. So we had Mikhail on, and she's a lovely young woman. And, that's, and Jordan, I like Jordan Peterson's manner in the same way that I like Chelsea Gabbard's manner.
9: They both seem like reasonable people. You do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, actually, the word I would pick was sincere. Right, he's sincere. Yes. Uh, and yes. and I think that is rare and important. So, um, yeah, I I I definitely like him, and and uh, I encourage people who haven't seen any of his work uh to check it out. And I think he's at um, Daily Wire now. I'm not sure. That's interesting. He's found a way. You know, he's.
0: You'd agree he's fundamentally an academic. In other words, his approach to it is about big ideas, right? Would you agree with that? Yes.
9: Yes. And I think he's, I mean, I think basically Jordan Peterson is just a professor that you wish you had. I mean, if you look at old videos of him um, on YouTube, there's there's plenty of old videos of him in front of his classroom, just talking about issues uh, or talking about philosophy or, or, um, history or religion or whatever. And, you know, he's just a really compelling storyteller. He's very good at public speaking and he's very sincere and he is willing to, uh, he's willing to question the, the status quo and question the narrative. Uh, and so, you know, there aren't many people who are willing to be, who are smart, sincere, and willing to stand against the mob. And he's one of those people. And here's the part that I said, might be controversial and might be wrong.
0: But I think what the Democrats have helped you is create the oppressive atmosphere of the university in real life on social media. Cause talk about how Jordan Peterson was chased out of academia. He's a guy who really was, was brutalized and chased
9: out of academia. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was, he was. And of course, um, You know, I I think much like people say California is uh, kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the rest of the country often, unfortunately. Uh, I think similarly, university campuses are a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. And so um, absolutely, they, you know, especially if you look at something like uh, Twitter, this is it's a lot of people who um, graduated college and spend a lot of time in front of a computer and they're recreating the environment that that they w- grew up in intellectually.
0: Well, Carter, we got to go. We're out of time. But I hope you have a great weekend, by the way. It's always a pleasure to you talk too. to great Carter Lairn and unsafespace.com, right? Uh, that's right. Carter, great conversation. We'll talk to you again soon. And Manel Chan, also great conversation with her. We hope you made you smarter this week. And more of human being focus on the people like the loss of Dari Jugina. This week is dedicated to her, and we'll be back next week on the backstory.